Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. You guys got the pre-Thanksgiving stuff going on. I can tell you all your stuff. All right, now. Come on, stand up with me, hold your Bibles up high, your iPhones, your iPads, your I wish I'd have brought something. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. You could go ahead and sit down. I'd appreciate it. Just be weird if a couple of you stood up while I was preaching. I just couldn't handle it. Anyway, well, this will conclude our our vision series actually uh, this weekend and and next weekend. Let me just say this: I, I'm going to do this on video, but I just say it live. One of my greatest heroes ever goes to this church. A guy who built one of the greatest ministries in America ever, and he'll be preaching next Sunday. So, Larry Jones, would you stand up? I want you to give this Francis. Francis as well. Would you give them a hand? Built Feed the Children from ground up, they did, and just uh, always been heroes of mine, one of, the, one of the great preachers of our day, and he'll be here next Sunday, so you don't want to miss it, really. I mean, it's, uh, it's going to be great, and he'll be a lot more sane than me. He'll bring some stability to Mosaic <laughs> that I always manage to mess up. But uh, it is a great, great honor to have you, Larry. I love you so much. Thank you. For, for being with us and staying with me. And every now and then while I'm preaching, I look over and Larry's just shaking his head. <laughs> I just doesn't even know what to say. And, and I shake mine with him going, and just doing what I think God want me to do. <laughs> so anyway, uh, you know, as I talk about vision, vision has been the salvation of my life. The Bible says without a vision, my people perish. And... Uh, so to me, I've never been afraid of dying it really uh, much of my life. And I just, where I grew up, I was just glad to be alive at 20. And I made it to 21, and I thought, wow, this is a good thing. Uh, and I didn't know much about vision at the time, so I was dying. And I, every day, get up and just survive. And, and uh, the reason I believe this is, is paramount is because if you think about what the thief, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy... You'd ask the question, what is he coming after? What does he want to steal? What does he want to kill? What does he want to destroy? And we oftentimes go back to the physical shell in which we live, that he wants to take my body, he wants me to die. And I don't believe that's true, because he knows we're all going to die at some point anyway. So he might try to expedite that, but the reason for the the expediting of that would be this, because you have a destiny in you that needs to come to fruition. That destiny is born out of a vision. So the devil wants to steal from you, not the shell or this body in which we live, but the vision that God put in you. And and that would eliminate another individual on earth that understood that God's plan for our lives uh, has an impact on everyone around us. And I realized that greatly uh, some years ago, about four years ago, greatly, greatly depressed and so depressed that I would board airplanes every week 
And I'd lay hands on the outside of that airplane and I'd pray that it would crash. That's where my life was in 2013. And y'all, some of you were at the church at the time. You had no idea I could get up and preach and do all the things I was doing. And chairman of the board of Danita's Children, chairman of Global International Ministry called ILM. And, and all the things in my life looked like they were going well, but I was perishing. And um, I had lost vision. I had lost sight of God's plan for my life. And that had an impact on so many of you for which I regret. And I could have stayed there. I could have stayed in that place, and I could have just said, I'm going to walk away. But the reality is, I knew I had a choice to make that would affect so many people. And uh, it would be hard to face everything I had done and come back from everything I had done. But I chose that I, I, to believe that God, God's vision never dies. And that the thief came to steal something that didn't belong to him. It belonged to God, and it belongs to me. And I will not give him the pleasure of having my vision and my life and my purpose because it doesn't belong to him. That's why he's called a thief. And as I began to pray, as I began to turn to God instead of turn away from God, I began to see that God was never mad at me. God was never disappointed in me. God was never ashamed of me. Instead, God had compassion for me. You see, sometimes we look at everything we've done and we think that that God's got to be angry with us and he's got to be disappointed. Nothing could be further from the truth because God doesn't just love. God is love. That's who he is. And so when I woke up or was awakened by all the tragedies, I realized God had not changed his position or his place in my life. I had changed. And that all I had to do was turn back to him and grasp once again the vision for my life. And I did. And I said, God, I still belong to you. I've been bought with a price. My life is yours. You see, it'd be great if we knew when the thief was going to come. It'd be great if we knew exactly the time that he was going to be there, but we don't. So we have to con continue to believe and have that vision in our lives to be ready and to know that God's plan is, is always waiting on us. God's vision awaits us and it awaits an appointed time and we get to choose what we're going to do and I know that without that vision I began to perish without having sight of God's plan and God's purpose I got emotionally mentally fatigued spiritually uh, famished in my life and so the reason I'm sharing on vision is sometimes life is hard and sometimes it's bumpy and sometimes it's difficult and sometimes we go through adversity but God said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you always. No matter where you go. God used to bar hop with me. <laughs> and for all you religious people, that'll irritate you. But I am telling you, everywhere I went, God went. And, and, and uh, I want you to understand the heart with which I say that so often. We think that God separates himself from us. When we're not where we're supposed to be doing what we're supposed to be doing, that's, nothing could be further from the truth. He's right there, which is why so many party nights were miserable. <laughs> I could just feel God putting his arm around me and saying, I'm your Uber. <laughs> you may lose vision for you, but God never does. And when he just kept his arms wrapped around me, people said, how in the world? 
did you get through those times when you were preaching and your life was miserable? Because every time I stood up, God stood up. Every time I opened my mouth, he filled it. The grace of God far extends beyond your sin and my sin. Always has and always will. Where sin abounds, grace does more abound. You can never outrun God. And I'm so thankful that everywhere I go, he goes. Every time I'm out there, he's, he's out there. And I just want us to embrace that today. And I want you to grasp a vision for your life that sees beyond who you are and sees into the heart of who God really is. There's so many people that quit and so many that give up. And trust me, there were moments I wanted to. But when I began to see that God still had a vision for my life, he still has a vision for your life. He still has hope. We don't grieve like people who have no hope because we have a great God. And so we have to realize that everyone in this place has a past, but everyone in this place has a future. We have to choose to see what lies ahead. The reason your car's windshield is bigger than your rearview mirror. God wants you to look out the front, not the back. What you see behind you is not near as important as what you see before you. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. And here's a key. Life is a process. It's a journey. It's not a destination. Our destination is heaven. The Bible says we're not citizens of this world, but we're the citizens of heaven. And God has called us beyond this world. He's called us into a world that is unimaginable with our carnal minds. In the book of Revelation, it says there'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more tears, no more crying, no more sickness. And all of those things are wonderful. But you know what? Without a rain, there's never a rainbow. And the beauty of that rainbow, we have to look through the water to one day see the sunshine and see that rainbow appear. And so there's rain in our lives. It said, the Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. But after the rain comes the fragrance and the beauty of that rainbow. And I just don't want you to live your life in the rain. I don't want you to live your life thinking there'll never be another rainbow. There'll never be any more color in your life. You and I get to choose, and that comes through vision. And, and some of us, at times, look at all the things that are available to us instead of what God wants to work through us. In other words, there are a lot of things that are distractions in life. I looked at those distractions even after I got well because I had no idea that people like you would come to hear a guy like me ever again. I love you. And so when God says come back to Oklahoma City after everything I'd done, you can only imagine it took a lot for me to grasp that vision again. But I decided that I would rather live in cold Oklahoma in the will of God than the beaches of California in the warmth of God. And honestly, I, I think in the Midwest it's so very different. And that it's sometimes even more difficult here because we've learned all of the religious language and we've learned all of the right things to say in order to uh, cause people to believe in us. But the reality is we're not trying to get people to believe in us. We're trying to get people to believe in God. And to me, there's nothing more beautiful than people who fight and claw and scratch to get where God's called them to get and to do what God's called them to do. And each one of you, some of you may have been in the pit, the desert for a long time now. 
and you've been willing to live there and fight there instead of saying, I'm going to get up, and if I have to crawl on my hands and knees to get to the place of God, that's what I'll do. And that's what vision does for us. It says, I refuse to quit. I refuse to stop. I refuse to sit around and listen to mediocrity and mediocre, mediocre mindsets to, that will prevent me from getting to God's place for my life. And God's place for your life is where you'll find the miracles of God, the joy of the Lord, a peace that passes all understanding, a hope that's been deferred that's made your heart sick, but that longing fulfilled is going to be your tree of life. When you say, I'm going to do whatever needs to be done to find that place of joy in the face of criticism and hate and anger and bitterness and gossip, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. And that's what I want for us. That's what I want for each one of you. And you know what? None of us perform well enough to earn what God holds before us and what he's placed within us. That's where the grace of God enters and the love of God overshadows everything that we've ever done. And then Paul said this, not that I've already attained or am already perfected. This is the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest leaders to ever live on this earth, who was at the murder of Stephen, holding the coats of those who were stoning Stephen, which is the only time in the Bible that we hear Jesus standing. He stands up in the midst of that moment in honor of Stephen while Paul is standing there endorsing murder. And yet here's this Apostle Paul writing most of the New Testament. Why? Because Paul engaged with his vision, God's original purpose for his life, and decided you're never too old and you've never done too much to walk out the vision that God has for your life. Ever. And so we just never quit. We never stop. We stumble. We fall. The righteous man falls seven times. The Bible says he rises again. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivers us from them all. We have to put our faith and confidence in God. The vision doesn't come easy. The fulfillment of that vision comes even harder. And you have to fight for it. Paul said, I've run the race. I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. It's a race to be run. And there are moments where you just feel like I'm out of breath. And there are times when you're fighting and you say, I just don't know if I can take another hit. But there's one thing he said, in the midst of those things, I kept the faith. How do you keep that faith? By keeping the vision. Holding tightly onto that vision. Corey Ten Boom once said, hold nothing tightly. I don't think she meant don't hold tightly to vision because you have to hold on to it. Because vision is the very thing the thief comes to steal from you. Is that vision of how things could be. Some of you had a dream home that you envisioned at one point in your life. And you saw it. You had a picture on your refrigerator. You were young. You were vibrant. You were happily married. And, and you saw your dream home. And every day you would get up and there would be a scripture above it. I know the plans that you have for me, God. Plans to prosper me and not harm me. Plans to give me a hope and a future. And over time, you took the scripture down. And you took picture down. And gradually and slowly, you lost vision for that which you once dreamed of, that once you, that you once believed for and you had vision for. And over time, people told you, it's a pipe dream. It'll never happen. And you began to believe them, and you lost vision for that. And some of you right now, I'm watching online, you know what I'm talking about. You say, well, that's stupid. Nothing's stupid to God. If we, being sinners, mothers and fathers, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does God want to give to us? God cares deeply about your vision. He cares deeply about the things that you care about. 
He has the same desires that he's placed in your heart because he put them there before you were ever born. And that you've given up on those and you've quit believing for them. So today I want you to go home and I want you to find something. I want you to put it on your refrigerator and say, I'm going to stand for something and I won't fall for anything. I'm going to rise up and I'm going to believe God. I've got mosaic in my office. I've got a picture of our city that sits in my office up on my bookshelves that I look at so I can envision uh, the city in which I live that, that Jesus paid a price for and that we're a part of that. And we're called to be influencers in this city, not in religious fashion, but to love all people. We're called to love deeply. We're not called to judge. We're not called to give direction. We're not called to even give our opinion. So unless somebody asks for it, shut up. Did I say that with enough love? People don't need your opinion. They don't need my opinion. What they need is a hug, and they need a word that says, you know what? I just love you. Why do you love me? Because you're you. Why does God love me? Because I'm me. I don't care what you say. Didn't ask for your opinion. God and I have this thing worked out. And I have to tell myself that every day because every day I'll live the rest of my life never forgetting the things I've done. But they won't be an anchor to me. They'll be armor on me. I'll live with them. Some people will never let me forget my sin. And if you ever come up to me and you're watching right now and you want to remind me of my sin, <laughs> there's nothing left to say. I'm just going to stick my tongue out. Because some people will remind you of your sin the rest of your life to rob you of the vision that God's put in you. I know what I did. I know it better than any of you. Nobody can tell my story the way I can tell my story. But the one joy I have is the devil will never be able to say, I got him. He hit me hard, but I got up. He might have hit you hard, but it's time for you to get up. And you keep getting up every day in defiance. Of his pressure and his judgment on you. You get up every day. And you walk it out. Paul said, I haven't already attained it. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Jesus paid a serious price for your destiny and your vision. He paid the ultimate price. He gave his life. Did you think the devil was just going to quit when he crucified Christ, just when the tomb was empty? That's when the battle began because in that moment, when Christ raised, was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit, he said, the very spirit that raised me up will raise you up. That spirit, the Holy Spirit, still very alive. He is alive and well. And he's looking for people like us that, that though it looks bad, that, that you've, 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 you know, you've messed your life up, you've been in a tomb, and, and you're just in darkness, and God says, I am the light. Every day I have to wake up to that, especially on Mondays after encouraging you. I'm just pouring encouragement out, and I wake up on Monday, and I feel like the devil's sitting on my throat going, you miserable. <laughs> Every now and then, I just, just want to. <laughs> can't tell you what I want to do. <laughs> And I remember, I don't have to because God already did. So I just get up and 
Say, I haven't already attained it. I'm not perfect. But I'm going to press on to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Four components, and these are the things, and I'll get through these rather quickly. Number one, defining moments in your life. There are defining moments, and some of them are good, some of them are bad. Defining moment for me and my badness was I realized how, how hurt and how incomplete that my life really was. And sometimes we just have to admit, and everything that's happened in my life, I'm just going to tell you the way I feel about it right now. I ran into somebody at the store. I have not seen them in four years, and they saw me at Target. I never shop at Target. I always shop at Target. That's your new French clothier. All right, now, they came up to me, and they, they said, oh, it's good to see you. How you doing? I said, you know what? I'm doing so good. I've had the opportunity to experience God in ways that most people just talk about. You know, we got all of our little religious things. How you doing? I'm doing good. God is so good. And, and, and we, we know that. But see, I, I got it here. When you crash and burn and you come out of the fire and you're refined and not burned up, I had an experience with God. My crisis turned into something absolutely wonderful. I know God now in ways I never knew him. I realized when I was in the ditch... God wasn't up there screaming at me, telling me, I told you, you idiot. God came down the ditch with me with all the mud and the crud, put his arm around me and walked. We still stayed in the ditch for a while because I wasn't ready to come out. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? huh? Yeah, you just get used to the odor and you go, this is not that bad. But he stayed with me and walked with me. It was a defining moment for me. It was not the one defining moment where you know you graduate from college. It was a defining moment. You got four years under your belt. You got a degree, and you know that was that was kind of a defining moment. Then it, it ran out, and I remembered it. And and but but the defining moment that happened nearly four years ago will never leave because in that moment I realized how much God really loved me. I got to experience how much God loved me. Some of y'all have been so good your whole life, and I'm not discouraging you're good, but. You'll never know God the way I know God. You're going to go to heaven in the sugar line. I'll be over there with the flour. Defining moments change our lives forever. Changed my life forever. And it really wasn't so much about the horizontal, but the vertical, knowing how much God was willing to love me in the midst of my crisis. And vision, it was like God said, it never left you. I just had to dust it off. It had been covered up by the cares of this life and your insecurities and your weaknesses that you didn't give to me. I realized how incapable. I realized today how incapable I am. And I don't say that with false humility. I'm saying it with great gladness because when I'm incapable, he's capable. When I'm weak, he's strong. And so today, I don't, I don't rely a whole lot on Mark Crow. I rely a whole lot on God. That defining moment really let me know. You know, I preach to strippers, and I, I preach to some of the hardest people in the world. On the streets of New Orleans, during Mardi Gras, on the streets of New York City. And, and you know, I could tell them what God could do. But now, I'm living proof of what God can do. Yeah. 
I'm no longer a person who just gets to tell the story. I get to live the story. And so every week that I stand on this stage, I'm always amazed. Every time I come to this church, I get to go, God, this is another defining moment in my life that you would allow me to do what I'm doing today. That you didn't quit on me and you told me not to quit on you. You've got plenty of reasons to quit. Some of you have been married as many times as Liz Taylor. And some of you don't know who Liz Taylor is. But I remember as a kid, one of the most beautiful actresses to ever dawn the screen. And I remember common people criticizing Elizabeth Taylor. And I, today I wonder what would have happened if people would have just loved Elizabeth Taylor and not criticized her. But I admire her. She just kept on trying. She's like, I'll find somebody who can put up with my weaknesses. And when you looked at that face, I didn't think it'd be that hard. But we spend a lot of time judging ourselves and judging others. And I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't get better. Not because we need to make God happy, but because we want to be happy. I don't ever want to repeat performance of my life. But I'm going to tell you something. It's a part of my life and will forever be a part of my life. And I will not live the rest of my life any more than you should in the shadows of shame created by your own judgment or others. You get up every day and you walk in the light. You let the vision of God for your life continue to shine bright before you. Knowing he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. He'll be with you always. And there will only be people that will rally around you to try to hold you back and remind you of everything that you're not. And when they do, I remind them of everything I am. I'm a child of God. I'm created in the image and likeness of God. God, when he made me, he just shook his head and went, uh-huh. And he did that for you. Problem is, we start looking around instead of looking up. We start listening to surround sound instead of that one still small voice that resonates deep in us. You're the apple of my eye. The apple of my eye. And I don't think we talk to ourselves enough and we're not nice enough to ourselves. And if we're not nice enough to us, we won't be nice enough to others. I am on a quest to be the raw Joel Osteen. Joel's refined. I just love Victoria. When I met her, she's working in a jewelry store. And I knew she was for me. No, I'm like, when I was there. And I want you all to know I love Joel, whether you do or not. But I love how encouraging. Come on now. We need people like him in the pulpit standing up telling you everything that God said you can be. You can criticize him all you want, but don't criticize him to me. I'm so tired of people beating up on him. He loves Jesus. I've known Joel's family since before they were Joel's family. I still hang out with them. And I love that. I can't believe they hang out with me. Because every now and then I say things that Joel would look and go, I'd never say that. I know, Joel, that's why I'm in your life. 
You need somebody that would say that. You're right. Be you, Mark. Be you. And I'm sure this is going to go way further around the world than most sermons. But we need to encourage one another. And there's not a greater encouragement on the stage anywhere today than Joel Osteen. We need to encourage one another. Some of you aren't sure yet. Oh, come on, man. You act like this is a golf match. Great vision creates great attraction. Great vision creates great attraction. Great joy attracts joy. You, you and I can be the light of the world that we're called to be. But you know why it's hard to be? Because you're going to be criticized for being happy. You're going to criticize, be criticized for being encouraging. You're going to be criticized for encouraging other people that most religious people say are not worthy of encouragement. I believe everybody's worthy of encouragement. I believe it's the greatest story ever told. It's the love of God demonstrated to mankind. I want to challenge you for the next week. I want you to say as many nice things to people as you can say. I want When you people text you, you text them, I want you just to... I, I'm, I'm just telling you, my life has changed to the point where I just want to tell people how beautiful they are, how wonderful they are, how awesome I believe they are. Because your awesomeness is not based on your performance. Your awesomeness is based on His love for you. He took time to carve you out of nothing and put you on this earth. That makes you really, really special. Create defining moments for other people. Secondly, there are defining people in your life. And trust me, nobody wants to be around mean people. Nobody wants to be around angry people. Nobody wants to be around gossiping people unless you yourself are a gossip. We don't have any in this church. When you go to lunch today, you're just going to talk about how wonderful your pastor's message was. It was just incredible. I was touched. You see what I'm saying? We have to make a choice. We have to choose to be nice. We have to choose to love. We have to choose to be encouraging. We have to choose our words. And you can always be critical of people. And I was one of the most critical people. I'm a type A personality. I want everything done right. I want everything looking perfect. And I did everything in the name of what I thought was right. It's never right to be mean to somebody. It doesn't do anybody any good. It doesn't mean you can't get what needs to be done, done. It just means you can do it with love. You can do it with kindness. And that's the latter part of my life is going to be so much better than the former that the devil is going to hold up a white flag. I surrender God. He didn't say surrender to God. I just am not going to get to that, Mark Crow. No, you're not, you losing lion. Almost Thanksgiving. <laughs> Change the subject. You see, Mosaic was in the heart of God before we were in Mosaic. This church was in the heart of God. God's never surprised, which surprises me. <laughs> I often think 
God, did you really know that you were putting such a buffoon in a church in Oklahoma City before the second church came into Oklahoma City and you put the same buffoon back in a church? <laughs> did you really know that? I think he did, don't you? I don't think God was surprised by me at all, and I don't think God's surprised by you at all. I think the great surprise is us going, if I fall down, I'm going to get up. I'm going to create my own defining moment. You get to create yours. John the Baptist created his when he was on the way to the river to baptize Jesus. That was preordained. Isaiah prophesied about him being the voice crying in the wilderness. All John had to do was step into his destiny. You and I don't have to find find it. It's in us. We don't have to search for it. We don't have to go looking out there. It's in us. And God's going to reveal it to you. If you just simply say, God, what's your vision for my life? What's your destiny for my life? What do you want me to do with my life? Ask him all the right questions. He'll give you all the right answers. They're defining people. The Bible says, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools comes to ruin. Just find some people with some measure of wiseness. I know it's supposed to be wisdom, but I grew up in Berry Hill. We had our own language. And a lot of rednecks. Anyway... Y'all are so slow. I said, well, yeah, there you got it. Some ways to test this. What do we want the most? What do you want the most? Secondly, what do we think about the most? Sometimes we're overthinking things. I had an old pastor tell me one time, and this has carried me through a lot of difficult times. He was a Texan, and he just had this Texas brawl. He said, son, things are never as good as they seem. Things are never as bad as they seem. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I went, okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because sometimes we think it's so bad. And we meditate on it. Or we think things are so good. And we go, oh, everything's wonderful. And then, you, you know, something happens. I just try to stay in the middle and go, God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. How we use our money. This is an important thing. How you use your money tells you what you want the most and what you think about the most. Your budget is a reflection of your heart. It really is. And so when we say, God, I trust you with the 10% that, that you've, you've required of me, that's a reflection of your relationship with God. And, and that shows what you want the most. I, I, want, I want to obey the simple principles of God. Everything else is profound. But I mean, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I just want to do that. I want to forgive because I've been forgiven. I want to give because he's given so much to me. But none of those things are going to get me to heaven. What's going to get me to heaven is faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only reason I get to go to heaven. And you know what? That's the only reason you get to go to heaven. It's the only reason any of us get to go to heaven. It's because we put faith in Jesus. Not because we performed well. My goodness, every one of us is going to go out of here and sin. Some of you are sinning right now while I'm preaching. Like all of us. I know some of you don't think you are. You're going, I am not. That's a sin to say you're not. (laughs) 
You see what I'm saying? We need the grace of God. I, I, I want to go from glory to glory. I want my life to progress. I want it to get better. I want all of that. But in the midst of that, I refuse to get lost in my humanness and realize that in the midst of, you know, like a, if you really love your kid, they draw on your walls, they color on your walls, they spill stuff, they mess, they put their oatmeal hands on your clothes and snot on your sleeves and poop on everything. That's right, only at Mosaic Church. And yet you just pick them up and you hold them because you love them so much. Imagine how much more God loves all of you who do those things. <laughs> Don't get lost in your humanness. Be around people who will encourage you. There are defining places in your life. Hopefully this is a defining place. This moment, this morning is a defining place for you. And you know what? Sometimes it's just, just getting up and being here just as a, a real win. It's a victory. But you know why? Because your flesh says, stay home. Your, your temper says, be still and know that I'm God. <laughs> and yet you get up and you, you come to a church, a place of worship, to eliminate all the distractions in your life and say, this is, this is how I... I want to get rid of all the things that are destroying me. And just realize how much God loves me and all the things around you will be taken care of as long as that which is in you is engaged with Him. Putting our trust and confidence in Him. He said, what we do with our leisure time, the company we enjoy, who and what we admire, what we laugh at. And boy, I tell you, in our society, we don't laugh near enough. We don't laugh near enough. I love to laugh. Man, you'll see me laugh at things I shouldn't be laughing at, but I'll repent after. You know, like the person walking in the mall and they're tripping over absolutely nothing. I laugh before I go, can I help you up? I'll try not to, but it's really funny because you tripped over nothing. And I've done that before. And I laid on the ground laughing at myself, going, you idiot. And then you quickly look around and realize everybody's staring at you. To which you respond, I did it on purpose to see if any of you people would help me. Defining place, Naaman. I'll quickly get through this. Remember, he had leprosy, went to the man of God, the prophet. prophet wouldn't come out and see him, but told his servant, go tell him to go dip in the Jordan seven times. Naaman had arrogance for a moment, realizing that he did not, in that moment, want to go dip in the dirty Jordan. He said, we have more beautiful rivers where I'm from. But the servant had to challenge him. See, there are defining people that will help define places that will challenge you to go to the places God's called you to go to and do what you're supposed to do. And so he goes and finally dips in the Jordan. He comes out, and he's cleansed of leprosy. That was a defining place for Naaman. How many of you know he'll never forget that river? At one point, it was just a dirty cesspool in Israel. Now, all of a sudden, the, the, the Jewish people believed it. Now, all of a sudden, to him, that becomes something different. I, I'll, I drive by. I was in Tulsa recently where I grew up, 
and in my little old community, I always drive by the church I got born again in. It's still there. As a matter of fact, at one point, I thought about buying it. I did. I did. I still think about buying it. Matter of fact, this week, I think I'm going to call. I don't even know if it's still a church. It's still a church building, but I don't know if anybody meets there. At one point, I know it was closed, and that's when I wanted to buy it. I just wanted to have it as a monument for the moment that changed my life forever. Seriously. Do you remember when God touched your life? Do you remember the place where you were born again? You know, you never forget those things. And I used to every now and then think about that's a defining moment. And that keeps vision alive in me. If God took this wretched, alcoholic, drug addict, angry, the list could go on. Stop me, please. And, <laughs> and, and just he took that guy and he said, I, I want you. And I, he wants you. And then defining purpose. You, you, you've got to have those moments. You've got to have those people. And you've got to have those places. To find that purpose in your life is greater than everything else in life. And that we follow that. And I want to encourage each and every one of us as we go ahead. Literally, I want to ask you to do this week. I didn't ask the 930 people. Maybe they're already doing it or they're just too stubborn. But I, I want to encourage us this week, Thanksgiving, to not just be thankful for family, but to tell our family how thankful we are. I want you to get up every day. and If you're married, I want you to wake up and look at your spouse, through, look through the green fog that they're breathing. And I want you to wake up and I want you to say, you are the most beautiful person I've ever seen. And you say, but that's a lie. No, it's not. Through God's eyes, they are the most beautiful person you've ever seen. Look at them and say, you're incredible. You're wonderful. I am so thankful that I get to spend time with you. Let me tell you all something. This will start, this will start creating vision in your life because it will take away the layers of humanity that prevent godly vision from manifesting in our lives. A lot of us have no vision because we're too critical of everyone. We're too judgmental of everyone. As a result of that, our whole soul is clouded by all of those things. I want you to encourage people this week. Every day, I want you to go home, write it down. I know some of you will do it, and some of you will put it on your iPhone, and you'll forget. Let's go old school. Let's go old school. See, this week, I'm going to watch my mouth, and I'm going to encourage people. You know why? Because that's what's going to unlock vision in people's lives. When you tell someone they're beautiful, they'll start having a vision for their beauty. When you tell someone they're incredible, they'll start doing things they've never done before because you've imparted vision to their soul. When you start telling someone how magnificent they are, they will begin living the magnificent life that you've spoken into their soul. You've sown seed into their heart, and you water it every day with those words. And I am telling you, they will begin to flourish like a flower in a dry land that's being watered every day. Help them to hold on to vision. Let's help each other hold on to vision. Look, we all have issues in our lives. We all have problems. We all have challenges. We're all just people. We're no better than anybody else, so let's help other people become better. Amen? Good. Lord, thank you so much for having faith for us, vision for us, love for us. That, Lord, you never leave us, you never forsake us. You are a kind and loving God. And, Lord, it's not because we deserve it. It's because you so love us. 
God, may we live our lives in line with you. Let us love one another, God, with words and actions, not just with heart. But let us love outwardly. Let us love vocally. Lord, I pray that we would be the kind of people that would help other people live their vision and live their destiny. That we would be, that we would be people who would reign on their dryness and that they would begin to bud and flourish in their lives. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want us to pray a prayer together. Some of you are not followers of Christ. Some of you need to renew your faith in Christ, maybe. But I just want to pray with you, and I want, I want you to be able to speak those words. God, forgive me. That's what I want you to be able to say. God, forgive me. I repent. I have to do it every day, more than once. It's not that I'm afraid of not going to heaven. It's not that. I have faith in Christ. I'm going to heaven. That's not what, what holds me back. I want to be the kind of person that other people want to be around. I want to be the kind of person that people look to and say, I know when I get around him, I'm going to get happy. I want to be that kind of person. And I'm going to be that kind of person. And I want Mosaic Church to be that kind of church. I want people just to come to see if it's true that when you walk through the doors of this church, you're not going to hear people talking mean to each other or talking about each other. Unless it's, you know, that person right over there is a really good person. That person right over there is real special to God. I want to be the kind of church that people just come and go, I just need to come here to feel the presence and the atmosphere created by a loving people. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Father God, I'm so thankful for Jesus. Jesus, I'm so thankful that you gave your life for me and for my sin. Today I repent of my sin and I invite you into my life and into my heart. Thank you for your forgiveness, Jesus. Amen.